the, the press in this state is so screwed up. It's it's scary. Uh, I learned that most particularly during the during the Bridgegate trial. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christy Tracker Podcast. These people who testify are convicted liars and felons. Yet, if you listen to the press corps in the state, every word that came out of Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni's mouth was gospel truth. I'm David First. We are back for what might be the final episode of the Christy Tracker Podcast this week. Depending on what happens in the world of Chris Christie and Bridgegate, uh, we could always resurface for more coverage in the future. But after this week and with winter approaching, it is back into hibernation for the podcast. But before that happens, we are here to answer your Bridgegate questions. The trial is finished. Former Christie associates Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni were found guilty. And the governor, he's ready to move on. I'm done with this. This is over. The people of New Jersey are done with it. It's over. And I know that it won't allow for the liberal media in this state to continue to beat on the Republican governor. But they'll find something else to do. Governor Christie on New Jersey 101.5's Ask the Governor show. But what has been left unanswered? What do you still want to know? This week, we take your questions. Actually, we, we get phone calls. But uh, to answer, our resident Bridgegateologists, WNYC's Matt Katz and Andrea Bernstein are back once again. Welcome. Hey, David. Hey, David. And also, thank you so much to all the listeners who called in with questions and wrote in with questions. So cool. We need some dramatic music, please. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. Um, are you both ready? Ready. Ready. Let's do it. Okay. Here's the first question. I'm wondering what are the biggest issues facing Governor Christie that have been overshadowed by the Bridgegate trial? Matt, uh, you want to take that one? I'd be happy to. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is his 19% favorability rating, but I think that is probably tied in with the Bridgegate trial. So let's just talk about the, the finances of the state. New Jersey's credit rating at the end of the trial was downgraded for the 10th time since Christie was in office. It is now the second worst rated in the country after Illinois. And much of this is because New Jersey has the worst pension funding in the nation. And this was a problem that Christie was supposed to solve. This was going to be his legacy, that he was going to fix the pension situation in the state. And yet it is still f- about at least $44 billion with a B dollars in debt. Uh, he went to the court, Supreme Court and asked that a law he created to mandate pension payments be rolled back. So this year's budget calls for a pension contribution that's less than half of what actuaries say is necessary. So it's unclear how he can get the pension system back on track in his remaining time in office. Meanwhile, uh, he has taken on another financial burden, and that's Atlantic City. Right after the trial ended, Christie 
formerly took over Atlantic City. The state of New Jersey now runs Atlantic City. The mayor and the city council there have no power. He appointed uh, Jeff Chiesa, his uh, former chief counsel, and a guy he, he had once appointed to the U.S. Senate to be the overseer there. We don't know how much taxpayers are paying this guy. He won't tell us, but he's got a big job to do. Revel Casino is still empty. Revel Casino might make others think of another problem Christie has, and that's American Dream. That's this big project in the Meadowlands. Christie had given his two biggest tax breaks. These were going to be his legacy tax breaks to American Dream and Revel Casino. Both were half-built mammoth construction projects that he, at the beginning of his term, infused all this all this tax break promises into to try to restart construction, get the economy moving in their respective areas. Both are still sitting empty in various stages of dysfunction. Finally, I'll leave you with this. The Port Authority is still not reformed. That's another issue that has been kind of... Uh, uh, forgotten about as we worry about the Bridgegate trial, but the Port Authority has the same structural dysfunction as it had the day someone decided to close the lanes in Fort Lee. Contrary to what the governor says, there's plenty of other things to write about uh, beyond Bridgegate. Okay, well, let's move on to our next question. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, here we go. Hi, my name is Victoria Selwyn, and I'm from Seattle, Washington. Uh, my question is, Beyond the Bridgegate scandal, there was a whole spreadsheet of either favors or punishments that the Christie administration needed out. And I was wondering whether or not some of those or all of those were illegal. So, for instance, giving the piece of steel from Ground Zero or some of the other issues that emerged apart from the actual Bridgegate scandal, couldn't Chris Christie also be brought up on charges for the, either the favors or the kind of retribution that he needed out for his either opponents or allies. So thank you, Victoria, and shout out to Seattle. The answer on the spreadsheet is probably not. The spreadsheet that you're referring to was created by Matt Mowers, uh, and he testified about it. He later went on to be the national field coordinator for Donald Trump, uh, but he set up that spreadsheet in October 2011 to keep track of favors that were going to be doled out to Dem targets. That was the title of that spreadsheet, Dem targets. And the kinds of things they kept track of were tours of the World Trade Center site, which was then off limits to the general public, gifts of World Trade Center steel, uh, which the Port Authority had in its possession. These were bits of burnt steel from the 9-11 attacks that the Port Authority would hand out to municipalities and fire departments around the state of New Jersey. And there were other things like breakfasts at Drumthwacket. There was no retaliation that was tracked on this spreadsheet. In addition, there were other gifts that the Port Authority gave to mayors, like a $100 million land deal, which favored the city of Bayonne in a failed attempt to get the endorsement of the mayor of Bayonne, and also $250 million spent on a renovation of the Harrison Path Station. And the late Mayor McDonough did endorse Christie uh, after he got that money for the renovation of the Harrison Path Station. However, David Wildstein, who testified to those things, was given blanket immunity. And the U.S. attorney has already made clear that he doesn't intend to prosecute Chris Christie for anything, including the lane closures. Uh, so other things that might be on that spreadsheet are not going to be the basis of 
an indictment by Paul Fishman. Now, there will be a new U.S. attorney. There's going to be a new attorney general. Uh, he will be appointing new U.S. attorneys in all 50 states. So unless that U.S. attorney wants to reopen it, that seems to be a closed chapter now. You know, I think what's really sort of heartbreaking about this whole Bridgegate affair is while there were convictions related to the uh, shutdown of the bridge, in terms of the abuses at the Port Authority, the billions of dollars spent on projects that the Port Authority would not otherwise have chosen is the long-term tragic consequence of this, that that is billions of dollars that won't be spent on the airports, it won't be spent on the Port Authority bus terminal, and that is money that this region could sorely use. Okay, so here is a question that was uh, emailed to us. This is from Sally J. Cummings. She says, Whenever Chris Christie talks about the Bridgegate plot, he calls it stupid, as in, I would never have given the okay to do this, it was just stupid. And here's a quick sample. Here's the governor speaking with Charlie Rose on CBS this morning. One of the most abjectly stupid things I've ever seen. I mean, think about it. You know me. Uh, I'm pretty good at this political game. Uh, I'm up by 25 points in a re-election in a blue state. Uh, and I, they, they decide they're going to create a traffic jam in a town that's a Democrat town that I wound up winning two months later in the election. So it was stupid on the face. Absolutely stupid on and the criminal, face. As determined by the jury. Sally goes on to say in her email, but no one ever asks him if that's the only negative he sees, because to call Bridgegate stupid is missing the point. It was fundamentally vicious, sadistic, and inhumane. Doesn't he see that? And as for being stupid, the other question is why? Why does he call it stupid? Sally says, I think the answer is because they got caught. Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I always felt that Christie was actually saying that that the idea to shut down lanes as payback in itself was stupid. Sure. Uh, Thank you, Sally. This is a great question. Sally's a loyal listener. Really appreciate it. And I think that's a really astute observation because, yeah, I agree with you, David. I always took this to mean that Christie just thought the whole ploy was a stupid idea, like to get back at a uh, local official by causing traffic. But I, I think Sally notices something, and that's this. It also indicates that Christie downplays the seriousness of this issue by calling it stupid. He, when I think about it, he has never really acknowledged that people's lives were endangered, that public safety was a major issue here, that ambulance drivers got out of their vehicles and ran to the scene of incidents, that there were missing children, that kids were stuck on school buses. Matt, what you're talking about is like the overwhelming feeling I had during his big Bridgegate press conference, where he seemed to be most angry at, uh, at people, at Bill Baroni and Bridget Kelly, for lying to him. I am heartbroken that someone who I permitted to be in that circle of trust for the last five years betrayed my trust not for actually shutting down lanes and causing days of harmful gridlock to to the citizens of New Jersey. Right, right. And by doing that, it serves a purpose because it downplays the whole seriousness of the scandal and makes it just about um, politics and a traffic jam as as opposed to it being about life and death. It it lessens the scandal into something frivolous and therefore something that uh, shouldn't be taken too seriously when you try to uh, reflect it onto him. You know, it's sort of a non-denial denial. That was so stupid. How could I have done that? You know I'm smart. All right, let me get uh, back into the right uh, mindset here. Uh, music? Music, please. Okay. All right. Let's get to another phone call. 
The lane closure was originally planned to last 30 days, but after only five days, New York officials reopened the lanes, which caused David Wildstein to write to Bridget Kelly, quote, Samson helping us to retaliate, unquote. Did the U.S. attorney ever interview David Sampson, and did the grand jury ever hear anything about the retaliation? Yeah, so David Sampson, there was no evidence that he ever spoke to the grand jury, and from everything we can determine, he did not. It is important to remember, from very early on, after the release of the email, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee, we began reporting on David Sampson's conflicts of interest that he was representing clients who had business at the Port Authority while he was also steering the deals at the Port Authority, and that the U.S. attorney began looking at this very early on. So David Sampson, even though he wasn't indicted or convicted for those conflicts of interest, was a target of federal investigation from almost the moment that this story broke, and therefore could not be called before the grand jury to testify. And it certainly didn't come up in any of the testimony that anybody had anything from David Sampson. Now, the jury certainly saw that email about Sampson is retaliating. Uh, But so far as we know, there was never a case mounted against Sampson for that retaliation. All right. We are nearing uh, final jeopardy now. And uh, this next question is a little complicated. I think you should answer the question about Hudson Lights, that project in Fort Lee that was right near those lanes that were closed. Did it come up at all in the trial? I didn't notice any coverage of it. I was very surprised to me that that hasn't come up, whether or not it had anything to do with the closures, maybe in David Wildstein's mind or or in the minds of others. Really appreciate it if you address that question and keep up the great work. Okay, uh, you've both had uh, some time to think about it. Uh, Want to tackle this one? Andrea? Thank you for that question about Hudson Lights. That was a possible motive for the closures that was floated very early on after the release of the email, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. However, there was only one person who raised that project in the course of the trial testimony, and that was Mark Sokolich. David Wildstein, in his eight days of testimony, never said anything about making that project difficult for the mayor of Fort Lee. But when Mark Sokolich testified, he said he was fearful about the implications that the closures could have on that project. And he was additionally fearful. Uh, You may remember that there was a letter to the editor that Mark Sokolich wrote after Christie was reelected and after there had been already two months of, of speculation about those traffic jams and the political motivation of the traffic jam. And at that time, Mark Sokolich wrote a letter to the editor of the Star-Ledger, and he said, no, there was no political retaliation. And he was asked about that at, at trial, and he was asked, well, was that true? And he said, no, I was not telling the truth when I wrote that letter, and the reason that I wrote that letter, and this was a very dramatic piece of testimony. He said, I am just a small town mayor, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I had this multi-billion dollar development project that was decades in the making, and I needed the cooperation of state officials. I needed permits. I needed 
information and studies from the DOT, and I was afraid that if I didn't defend the Christie administration, they would make my life difficult while I was trying to finalize this project. All right, we have time for one last question here. Here we go. Hi, my name is John, and I'm calling from uh, North Bergen, uh, New Jersey. My question is this. What happened between Chris Christie and Donald Trump in the final two weeks of the election? Because it looked to me like there was some kind of falling out where Christie abandoned Trump just before he won. You guys can shed, shed some light on this. It would be great. Thanks. Bye. John from North Bergen, uh, take your pick. There have been so many news reports often conflicting in the last few days about what went down in the last few weeks between Christie and Trump, all based on anonymous sources. So you can kind of choose your own adventure here. Uh, Maybe Trump didn't like the fact that Christie didn't defend him as much as Trump thought he should have after the Access Hollywood tape came out. That was one allegation. Maybe Trump was concerned about Christie's Bridgegate baggage. One report said Trump was upset about how Christie had handled Bridget Kelly because he doesn't like to see women getting hurt in politics, which seemed incredulous, but that was one report out there. Team Trump also was said to have thought that Christie did a bad job on the transition. I think any separation between the men, and I'm not even totally convinced that it's real, but if it exists, I'm told, again by anonymous sources, that it's because Jared Kushner hates Christie over the fact that Christie, when he was U.S. attorney, locked up Jared's old man, Charlie Kushner, for tax evasion, witness tampering, and illegal campaign fundraising. So if there's a rift between the men, it's Kushner-related as far as I can tell, but I don't even know if it's really even real. We do know that Christie stepped away from the campaign in the last couple of weeks, but unclear why that might have been. Could have been circumstantial. That could have come from Christie. That could have been a Trump thing. Who knows? All right, just to wrap up today, on uh, New Jersey 101.5 this week, the governor says he's done with Bridgegate. The people of New Jersey don't want to hear about it anymore. It's over, and the liberal media might be upset, but they need to move along. I'm sorry for them that their days of just giddiness of covering a trial for six weeks are over, but now they're going to have to actually you know, find something else to write about. So, uh, Andrea, move along. Nothing else to see here? Yeah, well, I think that's pretty much been the stance from the beginning on Bridgegate. There may not be a lot more to see on Bridgegate, given how what's going to be happening with the Justice Department. Uh, But as Matt said, the the final chapter on Bridgegate may not be told. There's still this criminal case. Matt, uh, on the Ask the Governor show, the governor uh, also criticized the press for, as he puts it, taking the words of Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni as gospel truth saying uh, the people who testified at the trial are convicted liars and felons. But he conveniently ignores the fact that a lot of the people who testified at the Bridgegate trial, who said things that were at odds with statements the governor has made in the past, were not convicted liars and felons. That's right. There were some of his close allies who continue to be his close allies. Uh, We did not take what was said as gospel truth, but we took it seriously from both his allies, and from those he calls 
uh, convicted felons and liars because all of what was said was said under oath and never has the governor specifically addressed those allegations uh, that came up in the trial and told us what is exactly wrong with them. He's just given blanket denials. Uh, he has also notably not spoken to a New Jersey reporter who was in that courtroom since before the Bridgegate trial began. One thing is clear, whether or not Chris Christie is held criminally responsible for what happened in that courtroom, the testimony and the evidence is clear that he used his government in a way to advance his campaign interests that was not consonant with the interests of the people of New Jersey, and he can deny that and call us stupid and giddy and whatever other names he wants to, but that doesn't alter the truth of what happened. Well, that's all we're going to have uh, time for right now. This oh, is... Yeah. I want to say a huge shout out on behalf of myself and Matt Katz for David First, the host of the Christy Tracker podcast, who has under extremely difficult circumstances edited and put this all together for you, the listener, all these many months. And uh, thanks, David. David, you're like the David Sampson to our Chris Christie. <laughs> I'm so glad, Matt, that I could be your, your personal David Sampson. We would be lost without you. All right. Well, that's all we're going to have time for. And this is the last scheduled episode. So now, uh, you know, the Christie Tracker podcast returns to exile, forced to wander the world alone and unloved. But don't ever count out Chris Christie and don't ever count out. The Christy Tracker Podcast. That's right. When that George Washington Bridge signal appears high in the sky, we might uh, return for some more episodes in the future. Thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to WNYC's Andrea Bernstein and Matt Katz. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, David. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, listeners. And thanks to the Great Gray Bridge. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. Big thanks to Nancy Solomon, the managing editor of New Jersey Public Radio and vice president for news at WNYC, Jim Schachter. You can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That is Matt, K-A-T-Z, and Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. I'm David First, and uh, Governor, I know this could change at a moment's notice, but when's your last day? What are your thoughts about serving in the Trump administration? I have absolutely every reason to believe I will be serving here until January 18th of 2018.